Our vision is to give every baseball player around the world the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, respond to the message, and grow in the relationship with Jesus Christ. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. This is the Training for an Eternal Crown podcast with Full Count Ministries. Welcome to the fourth episode of this series in First and Second Peter, where we're diving into First Peter chapter four. Carter Reese here, and I'm the director of resources at Full Count Ministries, and I've invited Chad Hutton, the pastor of City of Refuge Church, to take us through First and Second Peter, and he's teaching us a chapter a week. And this is an eight-week study, and we're approaching the halfway point together. He has done a phenomenal job on the first three chapters, so go listen to those if you haven't at some point, or even first before you jump in here. But let me remind you that this is supplemental material to the book study we're going through together. So I encourage you to go pick that up on our website or in the app. I'm so glad you're here today. You're going to really enjoy this passionate message from Chad today. Let's open our hearts and minds to the scripture today in this teaching. I know it's going to bless you. Here is Chad Hutton on 1 Peter chapter 4 on the Training for an Eternal Crown podcast. Hey, Full Count, this is Chad Hutton. We're going to cover 1 Peter chapter 4. Remember, Peter is one of the disciples of Christ. He was a brash, loudmouthed fisherman. And Jesus came out of heaven onto the earth, got into Peter's boat, did a miracle catch of fish, and said, Come follow me. I'm going to make you a fisher of men, a fisher of people. So now Peter is writing about 30 years after the ministry of Christ to mainly Gentile Christ followers in what today would be modern Turkey, which is back then Northern uh, Asia Minor. He's encouraging these Christians. They have a new identity. They're reborn. They're children of God. They're elect exiles, but they're persecuted. They're suffering. Peter encourages them to turn their suffering into worship, to focus on Jesus, to look at the example of Jesus. I'm sure that's what Peter did. Uh, Every time he faced a moment where he could deny Christ, betray Christ, turn against Christ, he turned it into a moment of worship, and he's encouraging them to do so. So now in chapter 4, Peter is telling them to base the example of uh, their Christian walk on Christ himself. So nobody said that following Christ was going to be easy. In fact, Christ himself, he got crucified in his life, and he, way before the crucifixion, was telling his his followers that following him would be like daily taking up their cross, which is interesting because none of them could ever fathom. They didn't have a category in their mind to even think he actually literally was going to be crucified. They just knew that the Romans crucified people every single day. So they thought he was using an illustration that was kind of hypothetical to following him. It would be like suffering. It'd be difficult. It'd be like walking up a hill with your cross beam and getting nailed to it. But Jesus was being literal. He was being serious, at least about himself. He's basically saying, hey, Uh, following me is going to be difficult. It's not going to be easy. And possibly you may die for it. Jesus died for it. 
But most of us are not going to die for Christ. We're not going to be martyred. But really, it's not about that one day that Jesus was crucified, although that secures our salvation and he was resurrected and he took the wrath of the Father upon him, uh, our, our sin upon him. But look at how he lived every single day leading up to that moment. So Peter is encouraging these Christians and he's encouraging us. This is the word of God. He's saying it's not going to be easy. Now, there's a lot of people right now in the 21st century in other countries They live in a situation where it's not popular to be a Christian. You may lose your life. You may go to prison. Uh, You may experience harm, threats, physical assault. The Christ followers in the first century in Asia Minor, uh, they were being persecuted. They were suffering, maybe not being martyred left and right yet. But they certainly were beginning to experience some difficulty. And Peter's reminded them, hey, um, stay the course. Keep your, your focus on Jesus. And he says um, that one of the prime ways that you're going to suffer is by refusing to sin and by accepting potential persecution. This is a battle of the mind. Uh, sometimes it's, it's going to be both. They're going to be persecuted. And in the middle of persecution, their instinctive response is going to want to blow up on those people to fight back. But they got to refuse to sin against people that are persecuting them. In our daily walk, every day we're tempted to sin. One way to suffer for Christ is to refuse that sin. When we look at this, this is a battle of the mind. We've got to equip our mind with God's word and be full of his Holy Spirit. Peter says that if you're willing to suffer for Christ, you lose your desire to sin. Sin ultimately is just offending God. It's our way instead of God's way. It's almost like saying God, my way or the highway to God's face. But Peter's saying when we're willing to say to God, your way is the highway and I'm going to forfeit my way, then we are willing to suffer for Christ and we don't desire to offend him. We don't desire to sin. We've had plenty of time to live our lives the way that we want to. Now it's God's way. And it, and it always should have been. But when you look at, in, in, in the West, particularly in America, in the 21st century, our Christ following is so weak. It's so past it, passive. It's so shallow. It's very kiddie pool. It, it's not even adult swimming pool or the deep end. It's just like we're all slopping around in the kiddie pool. And we call this Christianity. And, and that's, that's really weak. I mean, I know the kiddie pool is shallow, literally, but this is metaphorically, figuratively, spiritually weak. Many times we're afraid somebody could come into our home and steal our stuff. Well, one problem with that is we've got insurance. Somebody steals our stuff, insurance is going to pay for it. Um, even if we didn't have insurance, we'll probably just go buy something else. And half the things in our house we're trying to get rid of anyway. So if somebody steals it, saves, up, uh, uh, saves us a trip to Goodwill. Does it not? But you know what we should really be concerned about is we're afraid not so much somebody come in and steal our stuff, especially for our faith. We're afraid somebody will steal our time. They will steal our convenience. They will steal our comfort. And why do we fear that? Because there's no insurance for that. You can't get that back. 
somebody takes your time, takes your convenience, takes your comfort today, you can't get back get that back tomorrow. You can't buy it back. There's no insurance for it. But we are called to give our time to the Lord, to give our convenience to the Lord, to give our comfort to the Lord. That is one way we can suffer for him by representing him in our own home. It's God's time now. It's not our time. So Peter goes in in verse 4, chapter 4. What happens when we live for the Lord? We suffer by taking up our cross daily, by refusing to sin, being willing to be persecuted. And our friends and our family and our co-workers, they don't get it. They don't understand why we don't party like we used to. We don't talk like we used to. We don't make choices like we used to. We don't use our possessions and our resources and our time like we used to. They they just don't get it. They don't understand. You'll notice that he uses the word flood, flood of debauchery, flood of just sinning recklessly. They they don't understand. Well, that that term flood, it kind of harks back to chapter 3, verse 19 and 20 when he's talking about Noah. It's like all these people around, they're headed into the flood of judgment, but they feel like they're in the lazy river. They're just coasting along, no big deal. I don't see judgment coming. And then when they see us like a salmon swimming upstream against the culture, they're like, what are you doing? Just relax, relax in this lazy river. They don't get it. And Peter says, they're, they're going to be held accountable by the judge of the universe. They're going to be held accountable to God, by God. So we don't have to bow down to them. We don't have to fall to the peer pressure. It's amazing how even grown men fall to the peer pressure of all the people around them to get the biggest house, the biggest truck, the biggest account, all the toys, all the stuff. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus was a, was a carpenter. He didn't build his own house. He went from house to house to house. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, son of man doesn't have a place to lay his head. He's the one we're following. He's our example. We don't have to bow down to the peer pressure of our friends or our co-workers or our neighbors. We don't have to keep up with the Joneses. They're going to be judged by the almighty God. They have to answer to God. When you're, you know, you can be maligned by the people around you. They're going to talk trash. Peter's preparing these Christ followers for the trash talk on the field. When you get out on the field and you play, you may make an error. You may do something that the fans don't like, and they start yelling and screaming at you. you got, you've got to tune them out. You've got to hear your coach. Your coach has your best interest. Your coach is going to coach you. They know exactly what to say and not to say. They know exactly how to look at you and when not to look at you. They, they clap and they say, remember what we practiced. Keep moving. Keep going. A lot of people are going to talk trash when you live like Jesus. But you've got your ultimate coach. Remember, Jesus Christ, he was like the player, manager, owner. He got on the field, but he owned the field, and he managed the team. He was humble, but he was steadfast. And he knew exactly what to do and exactly how to coach every player on the field. And he didn't just tell them from the dugout what to do. He got on the field and showed them. It was more caught than taught. We've got to mimic that from our own homes. We've got to mimic that in the workplace and in our neighborhoods. We can't group up in our Tower of Babel churches and tell everybody else come to us as if they're the missionaries cross-culture 
coming to our building, talking like us, dressing like us, figuring it out. No, we've got to go to them. And we got we got to be prepared for them to talk trash. I umpired for 10 years. I started off five and six-year-old coach picks, maybe in little T-ball, and worked my way up to middle school and high school uh, baseball. And one of the first things you have to learn as an umpire is tune out the crowd. You've got to call it like it is. You're not going to get every single call right. You're going to miss a couple of calls, but you're the one out on the field. You've got to be objective, and you've got a team with you. If you've got another umpire or two or three with you, and you consult with them. When you're a player on the field, you are guided by your coach. You're not guided by your own emotions. You're not guided by the fans. You're not guided by the scoreboard. You are guided by your coach the same way when you are living for Jesus. God's going to hold people accountable. The gospel was preached to people, Peter says in verse 6, that had been alive at one point and they're now dead But because they accepted the gospel, they get eternal life. But even though we accept the gospel, we still have to physically die. Unless we're Enoch or Elijah, we still have to taste physical death. Even Jesus did. That's why he says judged in the flesh. They had to physically die. But they're going to live on with God, live with eternal life. So it's worth it when people belie us. It's worth it when people talk trash. It's worth it when we're persecuted. It's worth it when we suffer because we get eternal life out of the deal. We get to live with God, with Jesus forever and ever and ever. So we have hope. And because the end is nearer than it was yesterday, we've got to live like it. We've got to live our status out and live out eternity now. When we get together, With the other players on our team, our brothers and sisters in Christ, when we're in the corporate worship time, when we're in a small group time, when we're meeting in a D group, one-on-four, one-on-two, one-on-one, we got to so love worshiping with our brothers and sisters in Christ that we don't want it to end. You know why? Because it's going to be like that in eternity. It's never going to end. We're going to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ side-by-side worshiping. That's why when we get together with them, we should not want it to end. We should not be looking at our watch, looking at our phone, thinking, oh, I'm hungry. I I can't wait to to go to lunch. I can't wait to break this meeting and and go somewhere else and be with somebody else. The best thing to do is to worship with the brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to be doing that for all of eternity. So we have to live like it now as if eternity is happening right now. That means we've got to control our mind, control our attitude, control ourselves by the word of God, by the spirit of God. And that includes suffering. You're driving down the road, somebody cuts you off in traffic, and you want to say things that make a Boston fisherman blush. Well, you know what? Being cut off in traffic, that's not suffering. That's not persecution. That person cuts you off in traffic, they don't even know they did it. They're driving, they don't even know you exist. And then you you tail them for miles and miles and miles, missing your exit, saying all kinds of crazy things. What Peter's saying, true suffering means that you don't get to say what you want to say and do whatever you want to do. You know why? Because God owns your tongue. God owns your body. God owns your mind. God owns your psychology. Your your thoughts are for God, not you. So you respond back with self-control. This is going to cause your prayer of life to be vibrant and focused. When you sin, it affects your relationship with God. In other words, 
When you sin, God doesn't step away from you, but you feel distant from him. So you don't want to go to him when you sin. Well, this goes both ways. When you have a vibrant prayer life, depending on God with all you got, relying on God, throwing yourself at the cross, you don't want to sin. Like he said, like Peter said, you're done with sin. You lose the desire to offend God. So when you have a vibrant prayer life, you, you, you sin less. But the more you plunge yourself in sin and you can't control your tongue and your mind and your choices and your resources, you don't want to go back to God because you're full of shame and full of guilt. So keep your life in check so you can have a vibrant prayer life. And another way that we take up our cross and suffer is we got to love each other. He's really talking about the church here in verse 8. He's not just talking about the world at large. He's saying our brothers and sisters in Christ that sin against us, that act immature, that act foolish, what do you do? You forgive them. You love them. You bless them. Remember Job 4,000 years ago? A contemporary of Abraham, 2,000 years before Christ, what did he do at the end after all his friends had said all this stupid, foolish stuff? He prayed for them. He blessed them. It's like blessing his enemies. They really weren't his enemies. They were his friends. They were like family to him. But they're saying that the, the most horrible stuff, he was already suffering. It's like he made an error on the field and everybody said, look at you, you idiot. Well, that's not what our coach says to us. And so we've got to forgive our brothers and sisters in Christ. We've got to be hospitable to them. Verse 9, being hospitable, the the actual word there, it literally means to welcome someone someone into your home. But you should welcome them into your home, in your life, forfeiting your convenience, forfeiting your time, forfeiting your comfort without complaint. Yes, In America, this kills individualism. We have set up an entire culture, an American culture on isolation so that no one would step into our business. No one would step into our little personal pad so we can do whatever we want, live how we want. And then we drop into some poor apartment complex and do some ministry and think we're all that. We go back home and act however we want. That's not suffering for Jesus. That's not hospitality. Maybe what she do is like Jesus told us to do is have a gathering where we invite the poor and the broken and the downtrodden and the disabled and, and anybody in society nobody wants to be around. And maybe we should invite them in. Maybe that's ministry. Maybe that's hospitality. That kills individualism. It also kills this isolation that we feel all the time. We've got to begin to love each other and be hospitable. But we've got to use our gifts, as Peter says, with all we've got. You've got a speaking gift, speak as if you're speaking for God on God's behalf. You've got a serving gift, serve to the glory of God. You're on a team with your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's all about God's glory. It's not about us. We've got to give what we've got with all we've got for God's glory. And Peter says, don't be shocked when you get when you suffer. Don't be shocked when you're persecuted. Jesus was persecuted. Jesus suffered. How how do you know when you're when you're shocked when you're suffering? It's when you get defensive. If you get defensive, you're shocked. But when somebody persecutes you or they malign you or they disrespect you, you weren't shocked when you don't respond with defensiveness. And God is going to test you. 
He's going to test your faith. He, he, he tested Job. He tested Jesus. He, he tests everybody in the family of God. And what should our response be instead of defensiveness? Should, what should our response be instead of acting just like the world? It should be to rejoice. Verse 13, chapter 4, rejoice when you suffer for Christ. Rejoice when you're persecuted. When you're in Christ, insults turn into blessings. That can mean two things. It means you're blessed because you're insulted for Christ. You get to identify with Christ. And it can mean that when you're insulted, you turn that into a blessing. You bless the other person. Do you, if you're listening, do you believe this? Do you believe that in the economy of Christ, that when you're insulted, it can become a blessing? Do you live like this? Well, you should. If you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. But our suffering should never be because of sin. We should not experience suffering because of sin. If we, if we sin and we suffer, we should be ashamed if we're complaining about that. But there's no shame and suffering for Christ. God is purifying his church. He's purifying his bride. And it's going to be even worse for the world. If we barely got the mercy of God, what's it going to be like for all the people that turn their back on God, don't care about God, and they look at Jesus dying for them and spit on him? Peter quotes from Old Testament Proverbs 11.31. We've got to accept God's purifying effect. Being a disciple of Christ takes discipline. Yes, you see that word discipline in the word discipline. You practice like you play. If you don't practice, you're not going to be in the playoffs. You know, it's like practice, practice. Yes, Iverson, we've got to practice. Playoffs, playoffs. Yes, Jim Mora, that's right. We've got to have a vision for the playoffs. If you want to win the pennant, you better get out there and start hitting and throwing and running and bunting and doing whatever your coach tells you, no matter what your gifts are. If you're a pinch runner, get up to bat. If you're the closing pitcher, get in the game. Throw your best. If you're the backup, do what you can. It takes discipline. You, How you practice is how you're going to play, and it's the same way in the Christian life. If you worship now, you're going to worship later. If you don't give a darn about Jesus now, you're probably going to give a darn. You're not going to give a darn about Jesus later. Worship through the persecution. Worship through the suffering. And if you look in your life right now in this culture and it's too comfortable and it's too nice and it's squeaky clean, maybe you need to choose suffering a little bit more intentionally. Give your suffering to God as an offering and trust him to deal with the rest. He is the creator of our soul. He loves you. He's invited you to be like Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He lived every day for his father's glory. And then he was crucified for it. But that ended up being a beautiful, glorious thing for us because that bought our salvation that redeemed us for all time and we get to represent our great player owner manager my friends this is powerful stuff peter shoots it straight he tells the truth he's been there done that listen to him dig into the word keep going looking forward to chapter five
Great message today, Chad. Thank you for serving in the ministry and sharing your heart on 1 Peter 4. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you have some takeaways that you can apply this week and into your life. I know I do. Like Chad, I'm looking forward to 1 Peter 5 and the conclusion to 1 Peter. Hope you all have a good week. See you next time and God bless. you have enjoyed this episode of the training for an eternal crown podcast you can visit our website for more resources and also find this podcast on all major platforms full count ministries exist to create disciples using the game of baseball we are a non-profit ministry and if you have benefited from this resource we would encourage you to consider donating to the cause to reach every baseball player with the gospel giving them the opportunity to respond to the gospel and then to grow in the relationship with Jesus. Please like, subscribe, and share this podcast so that you can play a part in accomplishing the mission that God has put on our hearts for baseball players around the globe.